Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa, your host, and this podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. PR Daily is a great resource for communicators like me. I drop in there to get my training, to get more information about what's going on in the industry, and really just to learn more about what my colleagues are up to as well. So to find more episodes of the podcast, please join me there at prdaily.com or uh, join me at the website, which is fridayreporter.com. And if you like the show, be sure to leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, because that really helps get the word out about the podcast and the work that we're doing here to get you guys to know more about the reporters that cover your industry. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's guest is the national political correspondent for NBC and MSNBC, and you'll recognize him from uh, any coverage that you've ever watched uh, as it relates to elections. Steve Kornacki, thank you so much for being with me today. Hey, Lisa, happy to do it. So Steve, uh, for those people who don't know, we've known each other for, for quite some time. You had a really, really great start to your journalism career, but I hoped maybe you'd walk me back through how it is you got started and how you've got to be where you are today. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I started out covering uh, New Jersey state politics, and uh, I, I covered it for three years. And I, I still tell people that the best stories I have, some of the best memories I have, honestly, professionally, um, are from those three years. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in New Jersey. I wasn't from the state. Um, yeah, I'm from Massachusetts and going to school in Boston, uh, was looking for a, a, a way to get into political journalism and, you know, really just kind of by a set of circumstances, um, ended up with an opportunity there to cover state politics, in New Jersey for what was then kind of a, uh, this is, I mean, dating myself here. I'm going back 20 years now. Me too. But, um, <laughs> it was, and it's crazy to think it's 20 years. Time ago. has it's, flown. It no doubt. Feel that way at all. But um, it was kind of, it was very novel at the time. It was an, an internet based state political news site uh, called politics NJ.com. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just, today that would be obviously just the the concept is is very well known it's but you know it was uh writing about reporting about state politics in new jersey and Mm -hmm. state politics in new jersey are fascinating yeah um one of the most i think it's the most interesting state in the country when it comes to politics (laughs) if we do say so um, ourselves (laughs) yeah i've had arguments with people from illinois from louisiana also exciting states no question there's cases to be made for several but i'll (laughs) i'll cast my lot with new jersey but um yeah, it was it was a um, it was a novel um, concept at, at the time, and it was still this was just before you know social media didn't exist. Um, for and, illustration, and the internet was still kind of new. Yeah, if I, if I may, still, for illustration, I had to dial up to the modem to yep. get my most newest information from Steve Kornacki and the team and the small team that it was at politicsnj.com. So a long time ago, it was really, really novel and really fresh. And uh, yeah, and it was, I mean, I just, I can remember having conversations with people, um, you know, in my life, family, friends, telling them I was moving to New Jersey to take this job. And yeah, I was going to cover politics and they would say, well, who's it for? And I would say politicsnj.com. And I would get these looks like that's not a newspaper. That's not a job. Uh, you know, right. It's like, what, what do you, you you know, some GeoCities, uh, right. uh, ra- yeah. And, and even, and I would call up, I can remember, you know, even th- there were, 
plenty of people, as you know, um, it, 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 the, the site had already caught on with the, the political insider class in New Jersey. It was, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, candy for them. Um, but, you know, when I would call sort of official government agencies, whatever, if I was reporting out a story, you know, I, I would still find a lot of people when they would ask where I was from, and I would say politicsnj.com. I would have to say it back like four times to them. And, wow. You know, it's not the Star Ledger. It's not the Bergen record. They'd never heard We'll of call it, you back so. next week. <laughs> yeah. You know, you did, you, I, there was, there were, it was this weird mix of like, there were, you know, people I would talk to on any given day who were super, super into it and super, super excited to get to talk to me because they loved the website. And then people who had absolutely no idea what it was and thought I was just some, you know, some random guy. Well, what was so interesting, what was so interesting, too, is that there was you and you were named, you had a byline on the on the website. And then there was some other uh, surname or sort of a a name of someone that that was not named at the time. We now know him to be David Wildstein, who nominated you to be my guest today. Uh, But at the time, there was sort of this uh, cloak of mystery behind all the work you were doing too. And you guys were so well-sourced and you knew so much about information that would only be known by those who were in the room. Uh, and so that alone really made it just such an intriguing and interesting, and by the way, really sort of was the mold that many of these new, now not even known to be new, but publications that we read every day that followed that model that you guys really started. Yeah, it, it was, and that's the other aspect of the job for me that was the, of taking that job that made it such a um, um, unique experience, as you said, it was the site was operated anonymously mm-hmm. um and it, it was david wildstein the pseudonym he used was wally edge and that was he he took the name of a former uh, new jersey governor walter edge right uh and went, went under wally edge and and he had in the year or two before i took the job he had just gained credibility his tool was aol instant messenger if anybody remembers that mm-hmm. and uh, an email and he would get in touch with people that way through those two means um, people in state politics. And he would, I, I you know, I just, I, I talked to a lot of people who he had reached out to and, and, and you know, um, and, and he would impress them by showing them, you know, he knew something about them, something he had, he, he has incredible institutional knowledge about New Jersey state politics, about the workings of government, about the history, about all the players, all the people, how all the puzzle pieces fit together. And so, you know, even though he was using a pseudonym and only communicating through instant messenger and email, he would develop some trust and some confidence in, in um, you know, some high level political players. And so he was able to get some great information. He was breaking stories and, and, it, and it, was, it was building this must read site. And what happened was um, a national uh, publication, I think it was Stuart Rothenberg with the Rothenberg Political Report, one of the, you know, sort of um, uh, election analysts. Mm-hmm. Um, in his newsletter, I, I think he wrote something to the effect of, you know, I don't know what to do about the, there's this site in New Jersey that has this great information, mm-hmm. it's completely anonymous, and I don't know if the owner has an agenda. And so, I, you know, he was he was torn about using it as a source of, of, of information in his writing. Interesting. And I think that's what inspired David Wildstein to say, OK, I'm going to try to like I want to have a reporter, a traditional reporter whose name is on it. Who's doing traditional reporting, and so that's how the job got created. Interesting. And I, I, I took it, and he, he gave me the choice when I took the job. He said, "You know, um, do you want to know who I am?" And I, I, I made a decision. And I said, "Look, everybody's going to ask me who you are for the next however many years I have this job." 
And I, I'm not going to be able to tell them. And I want to, it'd be easier for me not to know huh. because I don't want to be, you know, so I, I said, didn't no, know don't that. Tell me. no kidding. And I, and, and I operated under, I said, look, I, I, I went through in the three years I worked there. I had all sorts of theories in my head at different times about who he actually was. I bet. Um, I was wrong. I never, I was, I never was even close as it turned out, <laughs> but you know, I basically just felt like, look, if, if this guy has a bias, um, a clear bias, if he's clearly doing the bidding of one party or something like that, it will become clear to me. He will censor stories. He will, get, and I'll have to, I'll, I'll just leave if that ever happens, but it right. never did. It, no. it never did at all. I thought it was a good partnership and it worked, it worked really well. And then it it launched this unbelievable career that you've had. I mean, where after politics and Jay, where did you go next? What was the next move for you? Uh, so I went to Washington and as we all uh, did I to, uh, <laughs> to cover national politics a little bit. And I went to roll call, mm-hmm. roll call. Um, and it was, it's, it's a, another one of these, you look back now, it's about 15 years ago. It was right on the cusp of the, 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 the real, kind of traumatic change in media and mm. roll call when i got there was at it turns out kind of the tail end of i'd say kind of its glory days yeah. and what i mean by that is it was a print only product i mean they had a website you, you had access to the website if you subscribe but basically it was a print only product it landed on the desk of every member of congress every influential person in the capitol um and they could charge like very premium advertising rates because of that yeah. And so it was extremely profitable and it was owned actually by the economist, mm-hmm. um, you know, from, from Britain. Yep. And I found out a few months after I got there, um, once a year, one of the big wigs from the economist would come over to, to the offices in DC for roll call, would sit down, kind of go over the books and, and they would pay out dividend checks to reporters. No kidding. Um, huge and big dividend checks wow. like above and beyond the salary. Um, you know, I remember I got there, I think at mine was computed at like a quarter of a year because I'd only been there three months at that point, but it was, it was, it was a significant bonus. Um, but it was, the company was that profitable. And this is, I'm going to say this was 2005, 2006. And it was, I say it was right before the sort of big disruptive traumatic change in media. Mm-hmm. This was, this was months before Politico launched. Well, you were, you were on the there was a Twitter. Yeah, yeah, on the varsity it, it, it team, just, though, I mean, just all the names that were surrounding you in that newsroom are, are yep. household names. I mean, they were inside the Beltway names for sure, but now everybody knows them, right? And you were surrounded by this tremendous talent. Well, there was, yeah, you know, uh, I remember I sat next to uh, Ben Pershing, I know mm-hmm. you've had on, um, you know, politics editor at the Wall Street Journal now, Paul Kane, mm-hmm. um, you know, Washington Post. I, I can still picture him. He was sitting right behind me, David Drucker. It was, it, yeah, no, it was. Um, They've all been um, Friday Reporter guests, by the way, all of those great human go. beings. <laughs> but you're right. And then, of course, Politico, right? And that was sort of that changeover. And that was the real disruptor in the space that has really sort of changed the landscape of where we are today. Yeah, it, it was, it, 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 it was Politico. You know, it's instantly upon its launch, I think, kind of increased the metabolism. It was web-based, and it was, you know, the idea of, you know, it, it, you're not publishing a story in the morning. You're not spending the day reporting to publish a story in the morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might do that, but you're really kind of maybe doing several different stories throughout the day, or uh, you're, you're updating the same story four times a day online. Um, and that was something we really weren't doing at Roll Call and really just newspapers in general weren't doing. 
I think Politico kind of changed that. And then, you know, about a year or two later is, you know, you've got Twitter launching and social media and that just amplified everything and, and nothing's ever been the same since. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now you're, now you're at NBC and you're at MSNBC and talk to me a little bit about your background in this, the data world where you are today, because so much of, of what you've covered over the course of your career has been politics, but now the activity, the availability, the, the, the way that you sort of get in and, and really do an autopsy of what's happening uh, to me is really the appeal. People I know all the time are saying, I watched Steve Kornacki the other day. He was talking about this race that's happening in Illinois or wherever it is. Tell me a little bit about how that became sort of your brand and, and where you're living now today in your career. I've always been interested in, I've always loved uh, elections and election nights in particular, mm-hmm. I mean, this goes way back. Mm. Um, you know, so I've, I've, and I've always been, you know, just kind of fascinated with um, whether it's a local race, statewide race, national race, um, watching the votes come in and seeing the patterns that emerge and what story those patterns tell and watching a winner emerge and trying to understand, you know, why did this candidate win? What were the what were the parts of the state that, 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 that came through? What were the parts of the state where the candidate underperformed? That, all, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've always been really fascinated in that. Um, and, um, you know, I, I got to um, NBC, MSNBC in 2012. Um, it, it originally, uh, it, it was sort of a panelist on a, a midday show. It was called The Cycle. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, there were four of us. Um but I know the thing I really wanted to do that was just sort of becoming a thing, you know, at, 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 at networks at that point was, you know, they were, they all were starting to get these touch screens, these big boards. Mm-hmm. Um, CNN, I think kind of was the first to do it. Um, but it was still a relatively new concept. And I always had in my head that that was, I, I would love to have the chance to, to do that on election night. And in uh, 2014, um, Chuck Todd had done it for for uh, for MSNBC initially, mm-hmm. and in 2014 he became the host of uh, Meet the Press. And I, I remember getting a call from my boss. You know, I don't know. This is probably in about September of 2014. Wow. You know, saying, "Hey, look, you know, Chuck Todd can't do the uh, the board for us uh, anymore. Do you think you could do something with it?" Wow! <laughs> so, How cool! Oh, I think I might be able to. So, uh, <laughs> So I was—I I just felt incredibly lucky to get the uh, uh, the opportunity, and, and yeah, that was—I mean, that was eight years ago. So here we are. And the, and even now, I mean, I feel like everything has accelerated from the time that you know we're talking about from when we got going to to here we are today. When you look now, uh, and there's no wrong answer here. This is sort of you know, in you look in your crystal ball. Um, are you seeing? Are you following trends? Is there anything to you that's starting to emerge as an interesting? Um, can you impart any wisdom in terms of like, what might we be watching for as we start to get closer and closer to the midterms? Are there things that are sticking out to you that are um, interesting trends? I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we, we talk so much about, you know, the nature of midterm elections. Mm -hmm. The the question is basically never, um, is the white house party going to win or lose, but how badly will the white house party lose? That's right. Um, almost no exceptions. Um, you know, 1998 and 2002 are the only midterm elections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Since the depression, when the white house uh, uh, party didn't lose seats, 
And you look on paper and, and basic ingredients for a really bad year for Democrats, just they seem to be in place. I was just looking before I got on with you. Uh, another new poll came out. Biden's approval rating was at 33 percent. Um, you know, you've got inflation, you've got gas prices, you've got a lot of conditions that um, are, are really tough to be the incumbent party during. Yeah. So, you know, it, all, the, all the historical stuff and, and you know, look, the, the elections we had just last year, Virginia, New Jersey, those off year elections have very often served as kind of uh, canaries in the coal mine, mm-hmm. um, you know, for midterms. And, you know, it, 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 what happened in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin winning and what happened in New Jersey with Phil Murphy very nearly losing um, both both of those results are consistent with what you would see the year before a big kind of wave midterm election. Sure. So, you know, I, 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 I think those are all what I find myself doing. And I think what, what most analysts probably find themselves doing is you're just, you're looking at all of that and you're saying, is there anything, you know, I could possibly be missing anything that could possibly change the playing field this year in a way that would, that would make it a historical. Um, and you know, I, I guess the one looming wild card that's out there, at least as we, uh, as we take this is, uh, you know, will there be a Supreme court decision, uh-huh. um, on abortion? Yep. Um, and, and, and if it's, if that decision is, is, is what was leaked, you know, a, a couple months ago, um, could that scramble the political playing field in a way that, 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 that changes the nature of the midterm? Mm. Um, you know, is there anything related to, you know, the Democrats certainly would, would hope, is there something related to the, the, the January 6th committee hearings, right. the lingering presence of Donald Trump that, that keeps certain swing voters from voting for Republicans? I, again, I think Virginia and New Jersey kind of tell you the answer to that is probably no. Probably not, yeah. um, and the only other thing is, in 2020, uh, while Joe Biden won, Republicans did make double-digit gains in the House in 2020. It's kind of the, the, the forgotten story of the 2020 election. Republicans actually had a great or a good 2020 election, except for the fact that Trump lost the presidency. Right. Um, and the question that raises is simply, to me at least, did, did the Republicans take a number of, of, of seats off the table in 2020 that they otherwise would have picked up in a year like 2022? Mm-hmm. So, you know, will that kind of eat into um, into their, you know, potential gains. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you see, you're, you're kind of, at least from my standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it like just, this is pretty much everything on paper is pointing towards the history, you know, pretty, pretty bad midterm year for Democrats. Yeah. And it's just, does something emerge that, uh, that, that makes you question that at all. Unfortunately, it seems like the forces of inflation and gas prices and the influence that has on an incumbent party and the the other side of the equation, as you mentioned, the the decision on um, abortion, uh, January sixth, and also gun rights. Those don't necessarily, at least, I'm not an analyst like you are, Steve. So by all means, correct me if I'm wrong. But those three issues, while they bolster uh, the other side, they aren't necessarily going to cause uh, a change. They're not going to cause those three forces. Don't to me, at least right now, anyway, feel like they're going to make any kind of uh, impact in the outcome, historically speaking, uh, for for the midterms. I mean, the way I look at it is just we I, we say 1998 and 2002 are the two exceptions. Mm-hmm. So, what were the extenuating circumstances in 98 and 2002? And in 98, it was that Republicans were moving towards impeaching Bill Clinton mm-hmm. uh, over the Monica Lewinsky affair. 
And the public polling on that was just consistent all year. Voters didn't want it. Wide, wide majorities said Bill Clinton should not be impeached over that. Mm-hmm. And they were against it. And a month before the election, you know, the Republicans voted to open uh, in the House, voted to open an impeachment inquiry. Mm-hmm. And the, on, on it, it, you could track Bill Clinton's approval rating it, 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 as the Republicans pushed towards impeachment. Clinton's approval rating went up. Interesting. And in the in the uh, exit poll on Election Day, um, 1998, Bill Clinton's approval rating was 68 wow. percent and Democrats gained seats. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the extenuating circumstance. And in right. 2002, obviously, it was 9-11. 9/11. Um, anyone who, who lived through and remembers remembers that for really a year and a half after 9-11, George Bush was was basically untouchable politically. Mm-hmm. Um, his approval rating on Election Day 2002 was about 70 percent. Um, country was was very politically unified in a way it, it, it never was before in my lifetime, and it hasn't since been in my lifetime. Right. And that um, that absolutely um, overshadowed and 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 uh, everything else in the in the 2002 midterm. So that's the level: 9/11 and impeachment. Wow, those are the two things I've seen in my lifetime that have overridden the historical nature. Of that's midterms. right. That's Does right. something emerge that rises to that level? Yeah, it would have to be that big. Not yeah. expected, though. Not something that we can certainly yeah. plan for. Well, um, politics, we could talk all day long, but I would really like to talk for a minute about the fact that this now, uh, this great skill set that you have honed and built, and now that you have all these great this great vantage point at NBC and MSNBC, it's leading you into kind of a different area too, right? So talk to me for a minute about uh, what you're doing with sports these days. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a, it's been a blast for me. I love it. I love getting to do it. I bet. Um, you know, I, um, um, I I tell people I cover uh, the political horse race, and then I've actually started to get to cover some real horse races. I've too. noticed. I love um, it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, NBC has the um, uh, the Triple Crown. You know, mm-hmm. although I think next year we lose the uh, unfortunately we lose the uh, Belmont Stakes to Fox, but we'll still have the Kentucky Derby. The Preakness, the um, the Breeders' Cup, the big sort of championship day of, of horse racing, or two days of right. horse racing uh, in the fall, mm-hmm. and uh, the the one I just got back from is, is super cool. Um, you know, kind of an experience I never thought I would have. Uh, Royal Ascot, mm-hmm. you know, which is um, it's 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 basically at Windsor Castle, very close to Windsor Castle. Um, it's a five day uh, event. Uh, annually um there are some american horses and trainers who go over there but mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a lot of british european horses but it is a like um high society event top hat and tails members of the royal family show up every day in a carriage to start things off wow. and um it's an amazing atmosphere about seventy thousand people there they run seven races a day no kidding um and it, it just it's a it's an incredible scene um so i got to be uh, nbc uh, covered it on um uh, the final day, the Saturday of the meet. And, I noticed. Uh, I, I noticed you had to that. upgrade. I noticed you had to upgrade from the khaki and the usual sort of uniform <laughs> that you wear. <laughs> yeah, top hat and tails for the first time in my life. That's so the cool. last time in my life, but it was. Uh, I'd never felt so formal, but I, at the same time, I absolutely blended in because everybody so else was wearing the same. I'm thing. sure, right? And but also, how fun for you to be able to take that and sort of flex into that space that's not some place that you typically are are forecasting and 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 going for, and and how fun for you. And I I'm under the impression that maybe there might be some other things that may be potentially in the in the future, maybe some 
some more football, perhaps even a game show. Those are all sort of conceptually yeah, out there as well, I mean, right? We, we, yeah, we've been, you know, I've been working with the, the folks at uh, uh, sort of NBC West Coast um, looking at, um, I've, I've always, again, you know, I had conversations with them in the last year or two about um, sort of coming off the 2020 election. You know, they're, they're asking what else, you know, would I be interested in doing? And, mm-hmm. and you know, part of one of the things that kind of came up in the conversation was I just, I mentioned I always, you know, I've always had an interest in game shows uh-huh. um, going way back. Um, and, um, you know, there, there, there's, I, I'm kind of, um, uh, I, I, I think what I told them is I said, I'm unironically into the, the competition of watching a game show. I, uh, I, I get into it. I get excited about it. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, maybe there's something there that, that, that could be done. So we've been going through kind of a development process there. Um, and, um, haven't landed on something specific yet, but, um, hoping, hoping it will have, have a few things, had a meeting recently that, that was, um, I thought a little intriguing. And uh-huh. so it's, and it's a whole, it's just an entirely different, you know, area of NBC, NBC entertainment, you know, really great. LA I, that I've never dealt with before. So yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be, to me, be super cool if something could come out of it. Wow. We'll be, we'll be waiting. Shot to do it. We'll be yeah. waiting. We'll be waiting to hear what happens. I, I love it. And I, I wish you all the best in that. Steve, as we get to the end of our conversation today, I was um, always, uh, the last question of the, of the show is, can you make a recommendation for a future guest for the podcast? Uh, well, let's see. You, so you said, uh, my old boss, uh, David Wildstein had recommended me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, I'll keep the, uh, uh, the Jersey theme going here. Um, and I would recommend, uh, David Wasserman. Uh, and he is the, uh, he's with the cook political report. Um, you'll see him pop up on, uh, on, uh, uh, all the different, you know, political shows too. political analysts, mm-hmm. um, specializes in, uh, in house races, um, sort of something of a, of a Twitter sensation on, uh, uh on election nights and, and knows the, uh, the political map of the country, um, as well as anyone. Um, I, I think, um, he's carved out a really fascinating, um, sort of political media niche and uh, uh, might be a, uh, an interesting person to, uh, to talk to. I love it. Well, they're all so I love following all of those guys there. And David certainly does have a great reputation that precedes him. So I will tell him that you nominated him and I am uh, I'm going to reach out to him uh, for another episode. Thank you, Steve, so much for your time today. I can't wait to follow what uh, what your next turn of events will be for the career. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery 
and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.